I got it the day I have to tell you, Anne, that I can't decide whether I want to hug you or hate you for your daily emails. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 93. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest, Kristen Economist, has an incredible story to tell and one many people will resonate with, including myself. After experiencing a season of severe anxiety, Kristen returned from a decade-long reading sabbatical that she says brought her back to life. She got professional help, and we talk about that, and she also soothed her anxiety with books, both fictional stories that transported her to other times and places, and nonfiction reads about mental health and anxiety that helped her gain strategies and helped her feel less alone. Kristen's experience with reading kicked off a personal project that she calls her 30 by 30 challenge, and of course, we talk all about it in today's episode. We also discuss Kristen's preferred kind of escapist reading, the kinds of books her book club enjoys reading together, and a bookish brunch that will either have you drooling with envy or planning your own. I might be doing both. You'll see what I mean. Today's episode is truly delightful, and if you enjoy it even half as much as I did, you're in for a treat. Let's get to it. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, we here at What Should I Read Next HQ, meaning my Ikea table in the corner of my office here. We're so excited to get your guest submission because of the interesting story you had about your reading life. But let's start with where you are. So what are you, how do you spend your time these days? Yeah, absolutely. I am. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so I'm in the great white north. Um, and I currently work, I'm at the University of Minnesota, and I am a leadership educator. I work with college students and coordinate um, workshops and events and classes that have mostly to do with leadership and service learning opportunities among students that are studying STEM. So that's what I spend a lot of my time during do, doing during the week. Um, and in addition to that, I have recently in the past couple of years been obsessed with reading and bringing people together around reading in my community, among my friend groups, with work. I'm, I'm sort of known in a joking way among my colleagues as the person that talks about books and recommends them even if I haven't read them yet, which is sort of a problem <laughs> that I should work on. How did you get that reputation? Yeah. Well, you know, I can get really overenthusiastic, I think, about hearing about books from multiple people that I value their recommendations. And so I start to talk about them. And if someone will mention that at work, I'll be like, hey, that's I've heard about that. I've heard that's a really great book. And then someone will read it and talk to me about it. And I'll say, oh, I, I actually haven't read it yet. I just heard that from several people. That's handy. You can outsource your um, book vetting. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm trying to get better about not doing that as often as I used to. But yeah, I spend a lot of time working with college students in some of those ways and um, really love, I love the Twin Cities. I know a lot of people um, give it flack for being a cold place for six months out of the year, but it's just a great community. There's so many fun places to go out to eat and grab, I don't know, drinks and food and going out to get a movie or whatever it might be. There's just a lot of fun things going on. Kristen, I can hear your enthusiasm about the books you read and the books you haven't read yet. What is it about your reading life and your personal experience with books and reading that has brought that meaningfulness into your life? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I would say like a lot of your readers, I loved to read when I was little. I had two parents that read to me a lot as a kid, which I feel more and more fortunate um, to have had the older that I get. So I developed an interest in reading from a young age, but um, between 
college and graduate school and moving, I really got out of the rhythm of reading in most of my 20s. And in my late 20s, this was actually just about a year ago, um, I was really starting to struggle with some some anxiety that I hadn't experienced since I was a little kid. Um, just was feeling like my heart was racing a lot. I was having a hard time sleeping. Um, for a while, I just wrote it off as, oh, it's the beginning of the school year and, you know, it's a busy time. And so that's that must be why I'm stressed out. But it started to get to a point where I was realizing that I was losing sleep and it was losing my appetite and just some things that were enough day to day that I realized, like, this is a problem. This is not going away. And that whole year, my entire year of 29, I joke about how I've never been, I've probably been the, the person that was most excited to embrace turning 30 <laughs> because year 29 was just not great. Um, I started to deal with this pretty consistent, pretty crippling anxiety in the fall. And then, um, in addition to that, I had some, some other kind of things going on. I had a, a dad who got a cancer diagnosis and, um, had a relationship end after two years. And so there were just a lot of things that were going on that felt really out of control. And, um, I was really fortunate to have a community and a, a group of people around me that were very supportive and very, very helpful in helping me to see that the same way that I work with college students and the same way that I support them in, ensuring that their well-being is their number one priority was something that I needed to do for myself that I wasn't. So um, between a combination of counseling and medication and talks with really good friends and working out and making sure I was eating well, one of the biggest things that made a difference for me was reestablishing my reading habit. And I was shocked at the way that that really helped me not only to focus my attention on something that wasn't making my brain spin, <laughs> but also as a practice to get used to focusing on one thing at a time. And for me, part of the way my anxiety manifested was that I just would look at a to-do list either at home or at work. And it, it was like I couldn't, I couldn't calm down enough to even start one thing and then finish one thing and then start the next thing and finish the next thing. And so reading became a way for me to practice, as silly as it sounds, to practice that idea of monotasking and not trying to be caught up in you know, trying to do 16 things at one time. So that was huge. And it made a huge difference. So it's something that I've really stuck with as part of my self care routine really since then. That's amazing. Do you remember how that happened? How you went from not having read books regularly for a long time to all of a sudden, having them be such an important part of your life? What did that transition look like? Yeah, I mean, you know, what's funny is it actually the transition kind of preceded the anxiety that I started to deal with. Uh, the year prior to all of this happening, I pulled together a group of four of my, five of us, I guess, total, five of my close girlfriends and um, who I knew were readers in different capacities um, and thought, you know, for me, I'm somebody who really, really likes the social accountability of staying on track and on pace with books and also to be able to, to talk through them with more than just one person. And so I established this book club and we had started meeting. This was about six months prior to um, my anxiety getting really out of control. And so um, I already had this setup with these four women and myself that, that would meet on a monthly basis to talk about the book that we were reading together. Um, and that was already set up. So that structure made it really easy to say, okay, not only am I going to stick to this routine that I've already established of reading every month, at least one book, but I'm also going to try to branch out and do some more reading on my own, um, kind of as a project. And it actually turned into between my book club and, and this anxiety and some of what came along with it. I decided that, um, 2017 was going to be the year that I read 30 books the year that I was turning 30. So as a result, I had 12 that were already established as part of this book club that I'm in and then decided, okay, that means I have another 18 that I get to pick from myself. And having that 
project and, and something about having a number associated with it really helped to kind of spur me along to go from being um, a consistent reader to feeling like this was the first year that I really became an avid reader. Um, and that was a big piece of it. And, and I also I noticed that um, one of the things I really appreciate is that the, the people that I'm in this book club with are people that like a lot of other book clubs, I'm sure across the country that I can talk about books, I can talk about not books, I can talk about what's really going on that's going well and what's not. And it's with a group of women that are all in different seasons of life. And um, I think especially as somebody, I mean, I'm 30 and a lot of my friends are married. A couple of my friends have kids. It's, I think it's really empowering to be able to connect with people over books, no matter what life stage you're in. And I think that that's really an important thing that I've, I've gained in terms of my community around books is the idea that whether, you know, I am a single adult professional who's working full time Another good friend of mine is in my book club and has three little kids and is a stay-at-home mom with a completely different schedule and everything in between. I have a friend who's a foster parent um, as a single person. I have a friend who's married without children. And I think in a lot of other spaces, we would be seen as not having much in common, but being able to connect over shared interest in books makes all of that simultaneously more and less important if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Kristen, I'm wondering about your anxiety. And that is a place I have been myself after a, after 9-11. Was it, it sounds like it was something that built over time until you realized that you had something that needed to be dealt with. Is that right? I, I absolutely. I think that um, it started really gradually. I, I felt like initially it was just um, what I would deem as a stressful couple of weeks in, in the same way that I had experienced in a lot of different capacities. I think for me, part of what was difficult was I kept for some reason, I kept feeling like somehow it wasn't justified that I was going from just being stressed to being anxious. I felt like, gosh, I live, I live in a great apartment in downtown Minneapolis. I have an eight minute commute to campus where I work every day. I'm surrounded by great colleagues. I don't have any other humans to feed or bathe or keep alive. I mean, I, I felt like my life wasn't set up for being anxious and that that somehow wasn't justified. And, um, I think the turning point for me, honestly, was when I started to feel like, okay, this is going just from being stressed to being part of my every moment and every day. I mean, I hit a point and I'm somebody who's, I'm, you know, really into strengths and personality assessments and some of the things I know you talk about a lot on your show and positivity is in my top five and I'm an ESFJ and I, you know, really feel like I'm usually on top of things and optimistic and, um, really excited about being around other people. And I just started to feel like, um, I was crying all the time. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. And I remember going to the doctor and kind of saying like, is something bigger going on here? I mean, at the time, I don't even think I could articulate that that was all anxiety, but I could tell something in me shifted from feeling like this is something that I can just manage, you know, by working out and eating more broccoli to, um, I need help with this. And the funny thing is, is I work with college students and, and prior to my current role, I was an academic advisor and worked a lot with students who had um, a lot of mental health concerns, a lot of, um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. And it was funny to me that after working in that field for almost eight years, I was so good at being able to identify that in students and try to call that out in a safe environment with them and be gracious and, and helpful with what they needed to get resources. And I somehow wasn't willing to extend that same grace to myself. And when I went to the doctor, she said, you know, this is, this is totally anxiety. And, and she said, you know, your brain is an organ, just like anything else in your body. Um, 
you wouldn't tell somebody with a broken foot or a broken arm not to go to the hospital to get treated. So help me understand why you're not able to do that for yourself. You know, why you're not able to extend that same line of thinking to yourself. And it was just funny. I think a lot of times as somebody who feels, um, you know, responsible and dependable, there was maybe some pride associated with it of like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to focus on getting on medication or any sort of medical intervention unless I've tried every other thing first. And I think that that came from a really great place. You know, I want to be healthy. I want to be sure that I'm addressing things in a healthy and productive way. But um, as my doctor said, you know, I remember her saying, she said, if you're, if you're, if you're doing all the right things and you're still not sleeping, then we need to at least get you back to a baseline. And actually, you know what? She used a bookish reference that I just remembered. One of the things that she said to me was, um, she said, do you remember learning about the Dewey Decimal System in elementary school? (laughs) I said, yeah. And she said, okay, imagine your brain is a card catalog. And the cards are starting to get mixed up in the wrong order as you take them out before you're able to put them back in. And she said, you know, sometimes it can be really helpful. And she said, I see it a lot in women, especially in their 30s, um, to, to be able to have your brain reset and to spend some time where you're not feeling on edge and panicked every minute of the day. And once you're able to get to a place of calm there, then the strategies that you're using like counseling and food and healthy eating and working out are all going to start working. But unless you can get back to a baseline, those things aren't going to be helpful on two hours of sleep. And something about the way she explained that really resonated with me. Um, And I found myself really talking with a lot of friends and with family and kind of walking through why I was struggling with this idea of kind of a holistic approach to anxiety as opposed to you know, just one or two strategies to use. And I was amazed at the number of people who had said either, yeah, me too, or I've dealt with that before, or I took medication for a year and I was able to get off of it and I'm doing well, or I'm going to be on medication the rest of my life. And that's something that I'm okay with. And hearing such a diverse set of perspectives that were all so safe, um, that really helped me, I think, to be able to give myself the same grace that I would have extended to my students or to my friends or my family had they been the ones going through this. Yes. And I'm no expert, but it's noteworthy, I think, that you needed that you needed someone else. I mean, there comes a time when you need someone else to help pull you out of it. So that's such a great story. Not just because it involves a car catalog. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what's funny about that, too, is one of the things, and I, I have a wonderful doctor up here, one of the things that she mentioned, she's just my general... Um, care physician. And one of the things that she said was she gave me a lot of different options. She was like, here's, here's some things you can do. You know, she mentioned food, she mentioned exercise, she mentioned sleep, all of which I was doing. She mentioned um, working on some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques with a counselor that I was seeing, which ended up being really, really helpful. And then she also recommended a book to me that, um, that really made a difference that was called The Chemistry of Calm. Thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring today's episode. Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than $10 a meal, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. My kids are always so happy when they find out we're cooking Blue Apron for dinner because they know that means it's going to be good. And sometimes they even help, which is awesome. Blue Apron is completely flexible, so you can customize your recipes each week and choose a delivery option that fits your needs. And Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Some of the meals available in August include basil pesto chicken with summer vegetable panzanella, sauteed shrimp and green beans with globe tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta, 
whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato caprese salad, miso butter salmon and lo mein vegetables with cucumber and charmed tomatoes, and meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash read next. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash read next. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So you were talking about that specific title that was so helpful to you, but I definitely get the impression that you weren't just reading science and nonfiction books to help to help get you through that difficult time. What else were you reading? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely started with nonfiction um, because I think that was all I could focus on it in the moment was how do I get help and how do I make this go away? <laughs> and that felt like the most um, realistic way to start doing that. But I, I really do. I, I took your reading personality quiz and and I am definitely an escapist reader. So I noticed that the other kinds of books that I really liked were fictional stories that and I know everyone says this, but the idea of being up at night, not being able to put down my book and being really engaged from at least page 50 through the end of the book was really important to me. So I got a lot of recommendations um, <clears throat> from all sorts of people, but I, I was reading um, The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. I was reading some other historical fiction. I was reading some um, domestic noir suspense thriller. And it's funny, I had a couple of people who told me like, should you be reading books that are suspenseful when you're already anxious? <laughs> and the funny thing was, is I found that they really were a great way to escape into another story. And because of the way that a lot of them are written, they didn't resonate with me in a way that made me more anxious. They just made me feel like I could escape to something that I was really interested in, in terms of a plot line. You weren't worried about the person you were sharing a bed with, like <laughs> putting arsenic in your coffee. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So yeah, I would say that I I started initially with a lot of nonfiction, but have tried to steer the dial closer toward um, fiction, more escapist reads in 2017. Okay. All right. Well, that is good to know because otherwise I might be afraid to recommend domestic noir. <laughs> Not at all. Bring it on. So what are what were some of your favorites? Some of my favorites during that time, I would say. The, Kristen Hanna's The Nightingale. I liked that a lot. Um, I read Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pinborough and really liked that. Um, speaking of suspense and domestic noir. Um, and I would also say one of the other ones that I really, really liked um, was the latest Jodi Pico book, uh, Small Great Things. I liked that one a lot, too. Yes. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to get a flavor for what we're looking for for you. But I mean, you know how this show works. We'll get there. Kristen, what's the first book you love? Yeah, uh, first book that I loved was Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And um, it was a book that I read as part of my book club. Um, and actually, after I heard Brian, Brian Stevenson came to speak at the University of Minnesota, which was where I heard about the book originally. And for anybody who hasn't read that book yet, um, it's it's a nonfiction story written sort of like a memoir, I guess. Um, Brian Stevenson excuse me, Brian Stevenson was um, or is an attorney who founded the Equal Justice Initiative, which is a legal practice that's dedicated to defending um, the poor and wrongfully condemned in the criminal justice system. So his book talks a lot about his experiences creating this nonprofit, the Equal Justice Initiative, and um, follows throughout the book sort of a storyline and a thread of one particular um, man who was wrongfully convicted and served I think over, gosh, maybe 25 or 30 years in prison before his conviction um, was overturned. 
Oh my gosh. I mean, I've read this book and uh, thought it was so well done. Really timely. Won't stop being timely. I did not remember it being that long. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that you never get used to hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sorry. You said not that long. I thought you meant pages. And I was like, oh, that's not the book I mentioned. <laughs> I was like, I think it's like 300. I, it hasn't been terribly long since I read it, maybe a year or two. And I'd already, oh, I mean, that's never going to stop hitting you that someone served nearly three decades in prison for a crime they didn't commit. What was it about the book, the story, the way he wrote it, the subject matter that landed this on your favorites list? Yeah, I think a couple of different things. I think the first was that it was a voice that I think was important and really misrepresented in our culture and our context today. Um, a lot of the work that I do with students on campus here is to think a little bit about um, how they show up in the world and how their identity and, and the ways that they show up, both seen and unseen, impact the way that they're perceived by other people. And I really liked that his story touched on some of those social issues in a way that was really relatable, regardless of your experience and your familiarity with this topic. Um, so that was one thing. The other thing I really liked about it was that even though it's a nonfiction book, it read like a story to me. And it had a lot of characters and it described them well and really got me invested in their stories in a way that I didn't expect. So I would say actually um, the narrative of the book kept me really engaged in a way that I feel like a lot of other nonfiction books might not have. Did your book club have lots to talk about? Yes, we did. We did. We had a lot to talk about. Um, and you know what's funny is that all of us actually enjoyed this book, but we all pointed out different pieces of what we appreciated about it and different pieces, for, especially for those of us in the book club who are white, that we hadn't had to think about before um, because of the way that we're given privilege and how we show up. Um, and so I think it was a really interesting story, not only to think about in terms of the criminal justice system, but some of the implications for day-to-day -day life in the way that that I can challenge my own, um, the stereotypes and the implicit bias and some of the things that I, that are just in my face and that I've been told and taught to believe and how to be able to question those with a little bit more critical thinking maybe than I would have before. That's great. I really love it when, even with a book that definitely has a very coherent, concise, e easily summarizable, is that a word? Sure. I think it is now. If Ann Bogle says it, I think it's totally a word. So you get to pick. Summarizable. A little <laughs> awkward, but you know what I mean. Message. Like, I love it when people really resonate with specific parts, not the same parts. That is what makes for a good book club discussion. Absolutely. Kristen, what's your second book? My second book is um, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin, who I know has been on your show, right? Yes, she was. She was on for Kid Week talking about her favorite children's literature. Lots of fun. Right. That's right. Well, I am a huge fan of hers. Um, and The Happiness Project, I, I well, was her first, the, the first book of hers that I read. Um, and it's also nonfiction, but um, is a story about uh, Gretchen Rubin's personal account spending a year um, basically documenting her adventures in a project to test drive what scientific research and pop culture says about a happy life and how to have a happy life. And I love anything about self-improvement <laughs> and um, I think that's part of why I like to read. And so I loved that this book was all about sort of a fresh start and every month she picked a different topic and a different idea and really just went all in on trying to incorporate that into her life and then reflecting upon how that made her happy. Um, 
and I just loved it. Again, I think I appreciated that it was it was so much like a story, even though it was nonfiction. And although some of the topics were lighter or heavier than others, depending on the month that I was reading about, um, it gave me a lot of really good ideas to think about how to make the day to day monotony of a Tuesday morning more fun. And I love that. Yes, I like the way you put that. Thank you. What's your third favorite? My third favorite is one that I know has been mentioned on your show a lot. So I was hesitant to bring it up, but it is it is certainly my one of my very recent favorites from the past couple of years. And that is 112263 by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell us about it. Yes. So actually, everything about this book, if somebody would have given me the premise, um, I think I heard about this book on your show, actually. But had I just read the summary of the book, I don't think I would have picked it up. Um, it's a story about a high school English teacher named Jake who finds a wormhole in the local diner and goes back to try to prevent the Kennedy assassination. And I am not typically big. I guess I shouldn't say that. I, I don't have a lot of past experience reading sci-fi, time travel, books of that nature. But I had heard so many great things from so many different people about this book that I thought, okay, I want to give it a try. And I'm a big advocate for the book before the, the movie or the TV show. And because I know this is a mini series on Hulu, I wanted to be sure and read the book first. Um, and the selling point, I heard about it on your podcast. And then I have a, an old friend from high school who is a librarian in Boston that I also look to for great recommendations. And I talked to her about this book and she said, I started it and then I got sucked into the Hulu show and I've never been more upset with myself that I didn't read the book first. Oh no. <laughs> so I said, okay, well I will take your mistake and not repeat it. So I, um, just recently finished that and I liked that it incorporated politics historical fiction, romance, suspense. I think some those are some of the biggest categories of, of fiction in terms of uh, story and content that I like. So I liked that even though it was a long book, I felt like I got a chance to, to see and experience all of those pieces in a fictional story. Yes, you can do a lot with 900 pages. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. The funny thing is about that, too, is I had just finished that book. And as part of my 30th birthday, I had a group of girlfriends who were just beyond wonderful to me. And they planned this entire surprise weekend. And as part of the, the weekend that they planned, they surprised me on a Saturday morning. And there were about eight of my friends that all got together for a book brunch. And it was hosted at one of my friend's houses and we we ate brunch and each of them brought me a wrapped book as a gift that they recommended that I read to finish out my 30 for 30 challenge. Oh, that is amazing. I've never heard of a book brunch before. It was wonderful. It felt like a baby shower, only no baby and lots of books. <laughs> yes. So what did they think you should read? They got me, let's see, The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. They got me Bittersweet by Shauna Nequist. Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. And, oh, of course, some others are escaping me right now. Option B by Sheryl Sandberg. That is amazing. Did you know what you were showing up to? No, I had no idea. It all started on, on a Friday afternoon. I was at work and my best friend from Iowa walked through the door and I had no idea she was coming. And she goes, did you think I was going to miss your birthday? And I said, yeah, you have three kids under the age of five. Of course, I thought you were going to miss my birthday for great reason. So it started with her and then expanded from there. So the next morning she said, well, we're going to go. We, we have a little uh, date for brunch with some friends and I'm not going to tell you where we're going or what we're doing. And we showed up to another friend's house and she had it all decorated and quiche and yogurt parfaits and coffee and mimosas for everyone. And then we sat around her living room while I opened books. 
It was great. That sounds amazing. Yes. And then the day ended with a surprise party with like 60 of my closest friends and family, many of whom had driven up from Des Moines. You have amazing friends. These milestone birthdays really do have something going for them. I know. It makes me think about, I'm like, man, I better show up pretty well for the birthdays <laughs> moving forward. I've never done that. That's amazing. Okay. On that cheerful note, tell us about a book you hate. Yes. Okay. Book I hate. Um, very with, with a lot of certainty. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed people on your show like to say a book that didn't land well for them, but I have no problem saying I hate it. Um, I hated the book, Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. And what was it about it? Well, I can understand why a lot of people liked it, but the thing that I did not like about it was that it was, it was too whimsical for me. Um, and I, I decided after I read it, um, you know, it's a book about uh, written from the perspective of a teenage girl whose mother goes missing and she's trying to find out what happened to her. Um, but it was written in such a whimsical way that I just didn't have a lot of buy-in and I didn't have a lot of care for the characters or for what they were going through. Um, and there were parts of it that were funny. I still laughed. I can understand why a lot of people liked it. In some, some cases I do still recommend it to people depending on what they're looking for. Um, but I think for the most part, I just felt like I felt about that book the same way I do about sitcom TV, which is if I'm going to take time to invest in binge watching a show, I want it to be something dramatic and suspenseful. I don't want it to be an episode of How I Met Your Mother or Friends. Yeah, I noticed that none of your favorites are snarky or screwball. They're all very straightforward journalism style writing in some cases. Okay. All right. I That is extremely helpful. Good. Oh, good. Yeah. Moving forward. It, it eliminates a whole bunch of books right off the top, which is a good thing because there's too much for anyone to read in a lifetime. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Kristen, what are you reading now? Yeah. So I'm reading two books right now. Um, I have determined for me that I can read one fiction and one nonfiction at the same time. So I'm actually reading uh, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby. I've seen it, but I don't know anything about it. Yes. Um, it is a book of essays, which I, I kind of don't have any opinion about really, but it is making me laugh out loud. It's um, written by Samantha Irby and it's basically, she talks about everything from um, her bachelorette application gone awry to um, a romantic vacation in Nashville. I mean, all sorts of different things, but it is just laugh out loud funny. And I'm finding that to be really enjoyable for a quick two or three pages before I fall asleep at night. That's the nonfiction book that I'm reading right now. Um, and the fiction book that I just started is one that I mentioned to you just a few minutes ago that El Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine by Gail Honeyman. Okay. I just read that this summer. Really? Yeah, I did. It was fun. Kristen, what do you want more of in your reading life? Yeah, I definitely want more fiction. I think the best books that I've read in the past year have been primarily nonfiction or memoirs. And while I really like those, I, I can't say that I've had many books in this 30 for 30 project that have been super compelling, can't put down, stay up all night to finish them fiction reads. Okay. You know, you mentioned that everybody says they want a book you can't put down. I, th I think there's a reason for that. Like we all love that feeling of a well-written novel. Except sometimes I feel compelled to finish something and because it has good narrative drive and then I end up hating it and think it was dumb. So <laughs> that's true. You ever since you coined the phrase of summer's too short or life's too short to read bad books, that has helped me give myself the permission to stop reading a book, which I have done this year. I think I'm glad. Yes, you should be. <laughs> at least at least it's nice to have company. Yes. 
Okay, well, I can't wait to recommend books for you. And we will figure out what they are right after the break. Today's show is brought to you by Babbel, the number one selling language learning app in the world. Maybe you're like me and you've always dreamed of learning French and then traveling to Paris and actually being able to use it. No matter what you want, to learn a language for an upcoming trip, for business reasons, or maybe just because you've always wanted to, Babbel can help you achieve that goal all from your desktop, smartphone, and tablet. Because Babbel prepares you for all kinds of practical situations like asking for directions to the local bookstore or ordering food and so much more. Not to mention, What Should I Read Next listeners can get three months of Babbel free when you sign up for three months at babbel.com slash readnext and use the offer code readnext. Babbel's interactive technology is so effective, you'll actually remember what you learn. And with short, convenient 10 to 15 minute lessons, you can learn wherever you are and whenever you can make time in your busy schedule. Right now, What Should I Read Next listeners can get three months of Babbel free when you sign up for three months. Visit Babbel, that's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash read next and use the offer code read next. Kristen, are you ready? Yes, I can't wait. Okay, let's talk about your books. You're very self-aware about what you're reading and very clear on what you want. So your loves were straightforward writing, um, great stories, really some of the like 11, 22, 63. That's a very intricate plot. Do you like do you like puzzling out what's happening in a story? Um, tell me what you mean by puzzling out. I mean, do you enjoy the process of figuring out what the underlying mystery is in a suspense novel or do you enjoy the feeling of like, Ooh, what's the author doing here? And maybe trying to anticipate what's happening. Do you like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'll keep that in mind. I also noticed that for as diverse as your favorites are, there's a lot like on the Venn diagram, we have a lot of overlapping corners. They're not corners, but you know what I mean? So yeah. Just Mercy, eleven twenty two sixty three. deal with big questions that affect the way we live our lives. And The Happiness Project, I guess she deals with big questions through a very everyday practicality kind of way. We know you love self-improvement, and we are not looking for anything snarky, sarcastic, screwball, nothing too whimsical. What's the other word? Nothing too, probably nothing too wistful, nothing too sappy. Am I on the right track? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say nothing too, nothing too goofy. <laughs> okay. Nothing that could be like a Hepburn and Tracy movie. Exactly. Okay. I got you. All right. I have a great book one for you, I think. And then we'll take it from there. I'm not so confident about the next two, but we'll figure it out. Book one. Have you heard of it? It's Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. No, I have not. Okay. What about, do you know anything about everything I never told you? Yes, I have read that book and I really liked that. Okay, so this one is about to release. It comes out on September 12th and this is her, I mean, I can't believe it, but everything I never told you was Celeste Ng's debut and I thought it was really well done. One of the things I liked about her first book is that it had this really interesting narrative setup and that is not... The case, like she handles little fires everywhere a little bit differently. This one took me a little bit to get into. Not real. I mean, probably 20 pages. But when you pick up everything I never told you, it starts with Lydia is dead. But, her, you know, they don't know that yet. So all of a sudden you're like, or right from the beginning, you're like, oh, what's happening here? Let's figure it out. And little fires everywhere starts with a whole lot of 
characters that you're meeting all at once. And I think the first time I tried to start it when I was really, really tired, I was like, who are all these people? I can't keep them straight. After a good night's sleep and a cup of coffee, um, it just, it didn't take me nearly as long to get oriented. So here's what you know from the very beginning. Little fires everywhere is a metaphor, but also referring to a family home in an idyllic suburban community outside Cleveland, Ohio, a real place. It's called Shaker Heights, burning to the ground because the daughter set it on fire. So, and you know it's arson because the the uh, fire department said there was evidence that there were fires all over the house. There was no way this was an accident. Like she wanted to torch the place. So this has a whole lot of drama, strong elements of suspense, because from the beginning, you know, something really bad has happened. And then you meet all the characters, you know, you flip back in time, maybe a year and you meet all the characters whose lives are entwined in such a way and how the disastrous elements finally came together that led to the daughter setting the family house on fire. And here's what I love about this book. I wasn't really sure what I was going to end up thinking about it for the first hundred pages, but this book does well. So many things that really I feel disappoint me sometimes in modern fiction, like so many times in contemporary novels, especially popular fiction, there's an inciting incident, one plot line, it's taken care of, and the book ends. But there are so many layers in this, and every character has a really interesting backstory. She brings in threads and issues that I never would have conceived never would have seen coming, have no idea how she got the ideas. And she weaves them together in a way that makes total sense, but is so intricate that you're not sure how she came up with it, but you are totally on board. And to give you some idea of the kind of characters involved, we have a like model American family, like a wife who's always enjoyed following the rules, um, her respectable attorney husband. They have, I think they have four kids who are all, you know, like American family. And this couple owns a rental property and they really take, the wife takes joy in like doing good with it and giving someone the opportunity to live in a community by giving them outrageously reduced rent that wouldn't be able to live in Shaker Heights otherwise. So they rent to this mother and daughter who are kind of vagabonds, move from place to place. The mother's an art artist, the daughter, has never lived anywhere for a settled period of time. They're detached from their family. And the wife thinks she's doing this family a great favor by letting them live in her house. And as the families get intertwined, it at first seems like a really good thing. And then it gets really complicated and nothing seems so bad until it all literally goes up in flames. Just she weaves it so well. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. I'm glad to hear it. And it's not its not super long. It's just shy of 400 pages. So not short, but it's not, it's not 11-22-63. But it's so good. Like once I got going, it's like, um, do I have anything else to do? Or can I just sit here and read this book? Oh, that's perfect. That's exactly the kind of sentiment I want to have when I'm reading this. Okay. I like the sound of that. All right. For book two... This isn't a change your life kind of book, but it's a thriller that I, I think might capture your attention. Wait, have you read any of Agatha Christie? I have not, 
But it's funny that you say that because there is a service through the University of Minnesota Libraries. And I, I was sitting at my desk at work a couple of weeks ago and got the email from them that was like, help us choose your next read. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me try it out. So I submitted a couple of books and they responded with an Agatha Christie book. Which one? Um, I think it was. And then there were none, right? Is that there? Is that one of her most popular? Yes. Yes, it is. And I remember thinking like, isn't that outdated? Which is such a silly thing to think. But that was my first reaction. And then the very next week, I think I was listening to your podcast. Who would it have been? But anyway, so I thought, oh, well, if somebody is saying it on Anne's podcast, then I need to take this seriously. No, I hope there aren't any University of Minnesota librarians listening to this who are offended. No, they're going to be glad they had the idea first. Well, what I was thinking about recommending and still think you might enjoy picking up is The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware. Do you know anything about this? Ooh, I've heard of it. I've seen it. I have not read it. Okay. So the average rating on Goodreads is only like 3.6. This maybe is not a book that is going to endure for all time, but it's suspenseful and absorbing and it has a mystery that your brain will really be trying hard to solve, which is fun and absorbing and engaging. So I think it's a I think it's the kind of suspenseful dramatic book that you would enjoy. It's not a tough read, it's just over 300 pages. It's a lot of fun. It's the kind of book that I read started at the pool read it in the course of two days. It's the kind of one you could read by the fire. But it made me think of Agatha Christie because in The Woman in Cabin 10, you have a group of people trapped on, well, not trapped. They're not initially trapped. And then it starts to feel like it when people start dying, but they're trapped on a cruise ship and it feels very much like, and then there were none, which is the origin of the band of people trapped on a desert island. The killer is among you, but who could it be? Um, I have only read Agatha Christie in the past few years, and I only just read Murder on the Orient Express, which I was kind of thinking about recommending to you. I was toying between that and and then there were none. Um, I just listened to Dan Stevens narrate Murder on the Orient Express like this summer, not very long ago. It's only six hours. It's read by Dan Stevens. There's a character named Mary. So if you're a Downton Abbey fan, you keep hearing Dan Stevens say Mary, which is kind of fun. And (laughs) so they're both, they're both really good books. They both deal with the situation where the killer is among you because nobody's come and nobody's left, but you don't know who it is. And the process of figuring out is a fun puzzle to solve since you are not in the pages of the book in mortal danger. It's a fun puzzle to solve and she does it so well. So I'm not sure which order you would want to read these in. If you'd want to read both the woman in cabin 10 is the one that will remind you of Christy. She's the true master. What do you think? Oh, okay. That sounds good. Um, you know what? I think I would, I think I would go with the woman in cabin 10 first only because as a recent favorite that I've heard about a lot, I think I would rather, start with that in terms of being able to connect about it with other people. I relate to that. But I will also say, um, I understand what you're saying about thinking like, oh, that book's so old. I bet it feels dated. My son, who's just starting high school, read this for summer reading because it was assigned. And that's really not a great setup to enjoy the book. And (laughs) which one was assigned? He was assigned and then there were none. Okay, got it. So he started reading it and I noticed he was reading more than he was supposed to read every day. I'm like, hey, so what do you think about that book? And by the time he finished, he was like, this is the best book I've ever read. He's 14. He's not, he doesn't have any ideas of how he's supposed to love classic novels. Like he just wants it to be good. 
right? That's great. That's and great. He loved it. So I think if you're worried about it being dated, if if teenage boys are reading it and loving it, I think the listeners are okay. That's a good bar. <laughs> That's great. I thought so. Okay. For book three, I'm thinking The Secret History by Donna Tartt. What do you know? Nothing. Really? Okay. Donna Tartt's The Goldfinch has gotten a little love and a lot of hate on, on what should I read next. So today we're going to talk about one of her earlier works. That's why her name sounds familiar. I know The Goldfinch. I've not read it, but I agree with you that I feel like I've heard more hate than love for that one. Yes, but it won the Pulitzer. So plenty of people love it, but, but that brings out the contrarians. And of course. I'm totally sympathetic. This is set on a college campus. It's one of those stories, because I'm sure you can think of some, especially because you work on a college campus. It's one of those stories about a really tight-knit group of friends who goes through something together. And at the very beginning of the story, there's a murder. And the circumstances are extremely strange. And the narrator, who's a little bit of an outsider, very introspective, very reflective, he spends the rest of the novel telling you, the reader, about the part he played in it and how he seemingly got away with the murder. So it's, it's set in this small Vermont college town and the characters belong to this, except, well, belong. The characters have formed this eccentric circle of classics majors. They're under the influence of a, like, a very charismatic professor and it really reminds me of like Tana French's The Likeness or Special Topics in Calamity Physics. Uh, it's a little bit Crime and Punishment, a little bit Brideshead Revisited. It's really compelling. It's, you want to find out what happens. It's chilling in ways because obviously there are no likable characters, but there's lots of drama and lots of suspense. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. I'm adding it to my list right now. All right. The official count is... 559 pages. Oh, yeah. That's so, you know, it's not, it's not that bad. That sounds awesome. All right. Kristen, of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? Oh, goodness. I think I will start with, I think it's going to be Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. I love the sound of that. I hope you love it. Thank you so much. I can't wait to get started. I just want to go home and dive under the covers and get reading right now. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done then. Yes. Kristen, thanks for talking books with me today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me and this was a blast. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kristen today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Kristen and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 93. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, my book Reading People comes out on September 19th, and I'm hitting the road this fall to talk books and meet you in person. I'll be in New Orleans the weekend of September 15th at The Novel Neighbor in St. Louis on September 27th, Michael and Smith's Nest Fest near Charlotte on October 21st, and Main Street Books in Davidson, North Carolina on October 22nd. We also just put a new date on the calendar that's at Malaprops in Asheville on Saturday, November 4th. Visit annbogle.com slash events for the latest information on where I'll be this fall, plus detailed information on those stops I just mentioned. I hope to see you there. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. 
You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our free newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.